1: You're going to want to have some kind of a buffer of money set to the side in some kind of savings, you know, where people want to call it an emergency fund, rainy day fund, whatever you want to call it. You want to have some funds just set to the side in case things go awry or in case there's an incredible opportunity, too. So, like, don't think it's always got to be bad. Having some money set aside, especially because I believe we are actually in a recession currently. On average, it takes people about three months just to find a new job in a recession. You would at least want to have that amount's worth of expenses set aside. I personally would say to knock out high interest debt, but I still like to see people invest. That's just me personally. Even if you can only afford to do like 20 or 25 bucks a month, I want you to be in the game of like working those investment muscles just so you can see what it looks like. Cause it may be the thing that gives you the motivation and the inspiration to keep pushing to crush the debt so that now you can invest more.
0: You're listening to Yo Quiero Dinero, a personal finance podcast for the modern Latina. I'm your host, Janice Torres, award-winning Latina personal finance expert. I didn't always have my financial shit together, but when I started looking for POC-friendly personal finance podcasts, I couldn't find any. And so Yo Quiero Dinero was born. On this show, I'll show you how to make dinero, how to keep your dinero, and most importantly, how to make it grow. Each week, I'm connecting you with the most brilliant minds in the world of money and business. So you can learn about investing, entrepreneurship, and building wealth. The best part? I'm dishing up all this knowledge with a sassy side of sasson. So if you're ready to be poderosa with your dinero, you've come to the right place. Let's dive in. Before we hop into today's conversation, I want to remind you to follow us on social. If you're loving this podcast and you want more community, you want to find out more about our events and all the stuff that we have going on behind the scenes, You can find us on Facebook, Twitter, TikTok, YouTube, Instagram, and everywhere else you love to hang out on the internet. If you're loving this podcast, please take a moment to leave us a review if you listen to us on Apple. It's the easiest way to share our podcast with people that you know and love, and it helps us get discovered by amazing listeners like you. So take a moment, leave us a review, share us with your friends and family, subscribe so that you never miss an episode, and make sure to check out our blog, YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com, where you can sign up for our email list and you'll never miss an episode. Plus, you get exclusive invitations to our live events, special discounts for our digital courses, and as always, our best personal finance tips and advice to help you be poderosa with your dinero. Thanks for listening. Now, let's get into the episode. Stephen, welcome to the podcast. Super excited to have you here. Thank you for honoring us with your presence and for being willing to share your incredible story which we're going to dive into today. Let's start off with an introduction. Tell us a little bit about who you are and what you do.
1: So, first off, thanks for having me. My name is Steven Stack and I guess the kind of flashy, shiny part of me would be that 100% debt-free and I became a millionaire or made my first million at age 31. I don't like to necessarily define myself that way though. And even when I talk about wealth, I always say, I think it goes beyond what's in our bank account to the person that we're becoming. So yeah.
0: Love that. Okay. So the fact that you became a millionaire at age 31 is a miraculous feat in general, but especially I think being a person of color, like this is just not something that we see in our communities, right? So I definitely want to first start off with your money story. What did you learn, see growing up with money? Did you grow up with a positive money mindset or a negative money mindset? What was going on during your adolescence?
1: Yeah. So when I was younger, I had a decent understanding of money, and and I grew to learn that, hey, this was actually a lot more than what most people had of my parents gave me a framework of, hey, don't spend more money than what you make or what you have, and make sure you put aside some money for a rainy day. So I at least had that framework, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention that my parents are some of the most generous people like on the planet. So they, were big on giving too. So those were the three big things I knew. Don't spend more than what you have, save some money for for a rainy day and make sure to be generous to others. So I feel like I had a pretty positive view on money.
0: Yeah, I think you lucked out. You got the lottery (laughs) when it comes to that. That's awesome. Okay. So let's talk about your career. So were you always in the financial literacy space or what did you do before this?
1: So it's funny from a career standpoint, I started, I was an engineer. So that's what I studied in college. The way I ended up there is I was always good with math. And so people were like, oh, well, you're pretty good with numbers. Maybe you should be an engineer. And I'm like, okay, well, you know, maybe that makes some sense. And they seem like they make a decent amount of money. So I went that route, but I was always committed to having a passion around finance and wanting to help other people win. So like even even before thinking about any kind of entrepreneurial stuff, that was always there. And I always looked at a job as this will be the seed money to help me build wealth and also be able to help others do the same
0: that's actually a really unique perspective i think right because a lot of folks kind of see the end goal as the career and it's like you know you're going to work for 45 years you're going to invest a little bit maybe in your 401k or maybe you get a pension and like that's the extent of like what most people think about but you are seeing your nine to five paycheck as essentially like your angel investor in your future entrepreneurial goals, which I think is very, very important. Y'all like, please pay attention because that is literally the exact same path that I took. I always saw my paycheck as the thing that was going to then allow me to leverage capital to build businesses without the pressure of like having to succeed right away because you have that consistent, stable income coming in. So wealth hack number one, right? (laughs) Okay. So can you tell me about how you actually became like proficient in financial literacy, right? Because for a lot of folks who are in communities of color, the self-education route is typically what we have to take because we don't necessarily get all those lessons from our families. So what was that process like for you?
1: Yeah. So for me, it was a lot of self-education coming up. I'm in my thirties just to kind of give people some context for age. So coming up, the biggest voices that were out there would have been like a in personal finance would have been like a Dave Ramsey or like a Susie Orman or, you know, things like that. I felt like I already had a pretty good understanding of what they were talking about though, because I'm like, okay, I'm not already in debt. Like I already have kind of a mindset of where I want to be. So we'll have some fun here for a quick second. So a lot of people have heard of a, book called Rich Dad, Poor Dad by a guy named Robert Kiyosaki, I may be one of the rare people with this unpopular opinion here. I couldn't stand the book. Like It it drove me crazy. The reason why is because I'm reading the book and he's talking about my rich dad told me about getting passive income and assets that generate. And my poor dad was like, I'm swapping time for money. I'm like, okay, yeah, yeah, yeah. I got you. I got you. When are you going to get to the part on how you get the passive income and assets. And literally I read the entire book only out of respect for the person who gave it to me. And I knew they were gonna ask me what I thought of the book. That's the only reason I finished it. Because when I read to the end, I'm like, he never said what to do, like how to generate. That's eye opening. Right. And so I'm like, man, I already have the mindset You're not giving me any resources or tools or practical things I can do to make it happen. It was a journey of having to go try to figure it out, whether it's going to libraries to read books, talking to people like early in my, you know, like corporate career as an engineer, my employer, they paid for me to take like a Dale Carnegie class where you'd you know, do time management and presentation speeches, things like that. And so I would use the speeches to just talk about what I wanted to do financially. Ended up like meeting people who helped me figure out where I was ultimately trying to go and like the how to, not the, just the, the, I had my why, but I'm like, okay, but like, how, how do I get there? And you, you know what I mean? In my-
0: that's a big part, right? right. <laughs> that's a big part to leave out of a book <laughs> right. that is supposed to teach you about how to build wealth. And I feel like that's the problem with a lot of content online. It's more just like a sales presentation for some program course, whatever the hell. And I'm like, you know, I get it. Everybody has to make their coins, but at the same time, like You should be giving people some strategic tools in order for them to start this process because otherwise it's like, what's the point?
1: Exactly. And my parents, they didn't know about investing. Like they just knew, hey, we're not going to spend more than what we have. And we'll make sure we save money, save money. But I'm like, man, I can't save my way to wealth. You know what I mean? Like it just, it's not going to happen. I'm going to have to figure out a way to invest. And so I had to push beyond, you know, what I knew and the people I knew.
0: Okay. So let's talk about that. So how did you actually get started investing? Was it through your 401k at work? Was it a brokerage account? Like talk us through that process.
1: Yeah. So, so to give people context, the time frame when I started working, it was during the great recession. So it was in that 08, 09 timeframe when I started. And I did initially start with the employer sponsored plan or for for some people that's a 401k, 403b, TSP, 457, you know there's a bunch of different numbers and letters, but they all are pushing towards some kind of employer sponsor plan. So I started with a 401k and I at least had read enough things to know okay, if the market is really really down, this is probably an awesome time to buy. So I knew that much. So I'm like, okay, I think back at that time, the most you could put in was, it was either 15,500 in a year or 16 grand. Like as of this recording, it's 22,500. So somebody can kind of fact check that back to 2008 or 2009. So I started there with the work 401k, but I also knew I'm like, I wanna build wealth on the south side of being 60 years old. So in other words, younger. So I'm like, yeah, retirement's good. I'm gonna take care of business there, but I also wanna do some things before that, which eventually I started working towards real estate, taxable brokerage accounts, uh, which there's no limits on how much money you can put in that, Roth IRAs, and so on. And so, that's the direction that i went as far as the quote-unquote sexy stuff yes i did do some like real estate like flips and multifamily properties that i started acquiring my first one was back in 2010 uh just to give some some frame in there but that was where i started to figure it out and i'm like hey if the market's as bad as they say i probably got a little bit more wiggle room to make some things happen
0: yeah No, I think there's a little bit of luck that happens when you find yourself in an opportune time and you have the capital to invest, you know, especially when the market's down. So a couple of questions just for context, where were you living at the time? Because obviously cost of living can impact drastically, like how much disposable income you have to start making investments. And how much of your income were you actually like living off of, do you estimate?
1: Yeah. So when we're talking those Early years, it was in the DC area or the DMV area. Cause I mean, when you live there, you got to be specific. I wasn't all the way in DC, you know, I was in Northern Virginia. So I was there and I was in Ohio. And for the entirety of my 20s, I invested at least 50% of my income.
0: Wow. Okay. That's major. And you know, the DMV area is not a low cost of living area. So in order for you to be able to do that, I think it's uh do you think it was just the fact that you had a good paying job or were you like really intentional about keeping your expenses low? And if so, how did you do that?
1: I would say the biggest fact was that the majority of my twenties was in Ohio and not in DC, as well as obviously then a mix of discipline having a pretty strong income to start with. And i am be honest with you, I'm really simple. <laughs> like, like, when, like When I graduated from college, the nicest thing that I owned was a futon. You know, it's really basic. It's probably for sentimental reasons. I still actually have the first recliner that I ever bought. It's not prominently featured for those that are wondering, it's not, but you know what I mean? So like, I'm I'm just like really simple. I enjoy having fun with people, like doing like game nights and just, hang, you know what I mean? So like, I didn't need a whole lot. Now, you know, I do more fun things today, but still, that's still kind of part of my core.
0: Yeah. No, I think that's, you know, an important message because what happens to a lot of folks, especially like if you grow up with humble beginnings and you're like the one to make it out and start making money is that, there's this lifestyle creep that happens, right? Where you want to show off the success and that you made it and you got to go buy the big ass house and the new car and the Chanel bag and blah, blah, blah. And next thing you know, you're just like, oh wow, I'm making six figures, but I'm living paycheck to paycheck because of the decisions that I've made. And I definitely found myself in that position. And it's only until you first become conscious of it and then realize like, Why am I actually doing this? Is this actually getting me closer to my goals or getting me further away from them? That you can start to reassess and reprioritize how you're spending your money. So I think that context is important of just like really that value based spending. Where is your money going? What is the ultimate purpose? Like, is it actually bringing you closer to where you're trying to be or is it pushing you further and further away? So you spent your 20s living off of basically like 50% of your income and you reached millionaire status by age 31 which is wild so how did that actually happen was it because of real estate flips was it because of the growth in your investment portfolio was it a combination did you have side hustles like what was what was going on there
1: it was a combination of i had investment growth so obviously i was being aggressive of saying hey as as much as i can buy but not live ridiculously like i'm still gonna do some things you know what i mean like I you're
0: not living off of ramen right
1: right 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 exactly exactly like i I remember back in 2014 i went to jamaica you know what i mean so i'm like you know i did do some stuff along the way but uh had some investment returns as far as in the stock market the real estate stuff went crazy in a great way
0: were you buying real estate in like Ohio or DMV or like, where were you buying real estate?
1: So I started in Ohio, but then I actually started buying out of state. I actually started buying in your state and it, uh, it was a beautiful thing. It was a beautiful thing.
0: <laughs> I wish I had done the same when I first moved out here in 2018, because now it's like ridiculous and unaffordable. So. <laughs> Lesson learned. Right. right. <laughs>
1: Right. So, but yeah, so those were things that, I mean, I had stuff that they were good real estate investments already. And then they just went crazy. I mean, I had some things that did like, you know, five to 10 X type stuff, you know what I mean? Where I'm like, I couldn't have planned this if I tried types of things, you know what I mean? So.
0: Yeah. I mean, I think it sounds like it was a combination of intentionality, but also just like right place, right time, and just being able to find and take advantage of opportunities. And I think that's why it's so important to live that living below your means lifestyle, because then you can deploy capital quickly when these things happen. That I think that's a huge lesson that folks should take away from this conversation is like always be ready to make the next money move. And by having that access to capital, like that's the way to make it happen. So there's all types of investment styles. Some folks are like 100% in on crypto. Some people are big on individual stocks. Some folks are about, you know, the simple boring index funds and ETFs. What style of investor are you?
1: Definitely not the 100% on crypto (laughs) person. (laughs) And uh, I've never said this publicly and maybe I shouldn't, but I had a conversation with someone, this would have been back in like 21, that is worth 10 figures. And for those of you like, what is that? That's a billionaire. And this person said, crypto should be no more than five percent of your portfolio he's like you know it could be good to have some exposure to it but that was his take and I, i was like well you have a lot more than i do so noted which i wasn't gonna go crazy with it anyway but uh my flow is more you know i'm I'm pretty heavy in, in equities. So for those who don't know what I'm talking about, I think like stock market, like stocks or index funds, mutual funds, ETFs, things like that. Pretty light on the bonds, which they can stabilize your portfolio, but they don't grow historically at the pace that, you know, stocks and things like that grow. I do have crypto exposure. I definitely have real estate exposure as well because so like even my home is paid off. So that, that would be part of it too. So that, that would be a six figure portion of wealth as well. But at this point, I'm still pretty aggressive. You really can only do one of two things. Either you're gonna focus on growth or you're gonna focus on safety as far as uh, protecting yourself from loss in your portfolio. And I don't mean that from a go crazy with the crypto like standpoint but just in general, you can't prioritize both at the same time. I'm leaning more towards growth. So more towards equities and things that can grow over time. But part of it is I'm in my thirties. I still have decades worth of a runway to just ride through market cycles like recession or bear markets, things like that. But if I were older, So let's say if I were in my 60s, then I'd put more emphasis on safety and protecting what I have and leaning more towards like bonds
0: and, you know, things like that. Other fixed income type of assets. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I think that makes a lot of sense. Sometimes I think there's like an overcomplication of what it means to invest or like how to figure out what make sense for you. And and I'm curious if there's a kind of a simple way that you can break down for us how to make that assessment individually, like what you should be investing in based on your goals.
1: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what big wireless does. They charge you a lot.
0: Shopify helps you do your thing however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online store shop phase to the first real life store stage, all the way to the, did we just hit a million order stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell everywhere. From their all-in-one e-commerce platform to their in-person POS system, Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Shopify helps you turn browsers into buyers with the internet's best converting checkout. 36% better on average compared to other leading commerce platforms. And sell more with less effort thanks to Shopify magic, your AI-powered all-star. What I love about Shopify is how no matter how big you want to grow, Shopify gives you everything you need to take control and take your business to the next level. Go to shopify.com slash dinero now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in shopify.com slash dinero.
1: The way you have to think about it, just a, a simple way. So I'll give you kind of like a technical answer, but then I want to give like kind of the easy everyday person answer is there's really only a couple of factors that you are looking at in figuring out your goal which is the timeline, how fast are you trying to get there? How long will it take? And what is your expected return? So the you know if you're looking to get like 8% or 10% or you think you can get 15% return on your investment. If you push for higher returns, you're gonna have more risk, but maybe you can get to your goal faster. And if you're like, hey, I'm good on being aggressive, I don't mind, I say you love your job or you love the business that you do and you're like, I'm gonna do this until I literally just can't, then maybe it may make sense for you to say, hey, I'm good with modest returns over a long period of time. So I'm just trying to give people like just a way to even think about figuring out goals And there's little things you can do. Like you can say, you could take your income. uh, Some people talk about something called the 4% rule of saying 25 times whatever your annual income or desired annual income is a goal to shoot for. I probably would tell people shoot even bigger. Make it 30 times. Because if you actually hit the number, then you're in an even better spot. You got a bigger number. And plus now, now you're trying to solve bigger problems. If you have a bigger goal to shoot for, to say, okay, well, if I need to get here, then I need to make six figures to get there. How can I do that? How can I do business, a side hustle or a job hop or, you know, whatever the things are that you're going to do to try to generate more income. So yeah, like. The easy stuff would be start with the goal. So you could say 25 times whatever your annual income is or 30 times whatever your annual income is and say, this is what I need to get to. Then figure out the time horizon that you're trying to get there. in, And then you can try to back your way into what do I need to do today to get there in whatever time frame.
0: Love that context, and uh, I have a resource that I'll link in the episode show notes. The IRS has an amazing compound interest calculator that you can use to figure out like what that number is and uh, how much uh, returns, how much you need to invest on a monthly basis, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So that's really useful. And so just for some context, that twenty-five times your annual income is pretty much like the foundation of the financial independence movement. It's a great kind of starter place, but I've seen folks. Talk about revising that and make it higher, even as high as like 33 times versus 25, just because you definitely want to give yourself a buffer for years like what we're experiencing now, where there's loss in the market, inflation, et cetera, et cetera. So I like the idea of a buffer. And I think especially for communities of color, oftentimes we are not just investing for ourselves. We are often investing to be able to support extended family members Maybe leave some wealth to your kids, and so I think we need that additional buffer more often than not. And so it's good to start planning for it.
1: Yeah, and if you don't mind, I'm gonna interject here because that's a great point, especially if I'm thinking about people that would be kind of a roundish my age group. Because I don't, I don't want to, I don't want you to have to put your age out there in case you don't share that, you know, publicly. But if you're in kind of like your thirties, a lot of times. Hey,
0: millennials. Right. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
1: a lot of times that puts you in what's called the sandwich generation. Like if you're in that 30s to 40s where what's happening is potentially you're having to take care of your parents who came before you while also taking care of children that have come after you. And there can be a lot of stress, a lot of pressure there. And if I'm just being real, I'm just going to get just kind of raw and personal with, with you guys. Like there's so many, I've had so many people that have been close to me that I know that have had people pass away, like had, you know, a parent pass away or just things like that. And now all of a sudden they're having to take care of a parent or especially, you know, I've got tons of friends that are immigrants to the U.S. where in real time, they're sending money back home to take care of a parent while trying to figure out money today for themselves. And they may have kids that they want to be able to invest for, for the future all at the same time, which is incredibly hard and way too common in minority communities.
0: Yeah, absolutely. It's like, you know, we are, tasked with a huge responsibility to be that catalyst for change. And I think there can come a lot of mental stress and anxiety that comes with that burden. I'm wondering if you have any perspective or advice on that, because, you know, I think one thing that I see is very common for our community is like almost this sense of duty or responsibility to take everybody with you. And sometimes that can come at the expense of your mental health. Just the pressure that comes from that can be really, really tough to navigate. And I'm wondering if you have any advice about that.
1: Yeah, I do. Just as a person that I'm just a compassionate person in general, and I'm big on family, here's the reality. If someone that you love is in quicksand and you're in the quicksand with them, y'all are both going to die like you're both gonna sink, the best thing that you can do is get to stable ground first for yourself, then be able to help pull them out, if that is what you desire to do. Or another example, because I like to just give visuals so it sticks, is if you get on a commercial flight, you get on a plane, the flight attendant is going to tell you every single time about those oxygen masks that come down and every single time they tell you, put your mask on first, then look to help out others. And it's the same thing financially, you have to get yourself in a solid stable place, whether it be money wise, mentally, emotionally, spiritually, you know, what whatever the dynamic is health-wise, like just getting in a in a better place, because then you'll have more energy and more resources to actually be able to help out those you love. Cause what I see so commonly happen with people that I've worked with, folks that I just know personally, is they start to do well. And then they immediately go and start emptying themselves and their resources to try to help those that they love. And I'm like, you're bankrupting yourself. If I'm a farmer and I immediately give away all the seeds that came from the harvest that I got, I'm not gonna have seed for the next harvest.
0: Yeah, that's real y'all, that's real. Okay, so let's talk about how do we set ourselves up to eventually be able to be in that position? Like, what are kind of the steps of financial stability that we should be prioritizing, right? Because I think there's so much competing pressure. Should I be paying off debt? Should I be saving an emergency fund? Should I be investing? Should I be doing all of this stuff? How is this possible? (laughs) What's kind of the step by step process that you would recommend taking to start building wealth?
1: The first thing that I would say is, you need to try to stabilize. Is you're going to want to have some kind of a buffer of money set to the side in some kind of savings, you know, where people want to call it an emergency fund, rainy day fund, what have you. Like, I've heard a ton of different names. I actually heard some really cool ones as of late, too. But whatever you want to call it, just because money, like, you want to have some funds just set to the side in case things go awry or in case there's an incredible opportunity too. So like, don't think it's always gotta be bad. Like there's been times where I've had money set aside, something amazing came and it multiplied many times over because I was able to take advantage of it. But having some money set aside, especially cause I believe we are actually in a recession currently. On average, it takes people about three months just to find a new job in a recession. So you would at least wanna have that amount's worth of expenses set aside. I would say somewhere in that six months-ish range is gonna work and it just depends on the stability of your work. So if you feel like, hey, this is a really strong industry or business that I'm in, like I'm in a good space, maybe you may shade to have a little bit of less money to the side but if your income is very it varies a lot very variable Uh, maybe you want to put a little bit more money to the side just to stabilize you i personally would say to knock out high interest debt but i still like to see people invest that's just me personally even if you can only afford to do like 20 or 25 bucks a month like i want you to be in the game of like working those investment muscles just so you can see what it looks like. Cause it may be the thing that gives you the motivation and the inspiration to keep pushing to crush the debt so that now you can invest more, but it's gonna depend on some of the percentages and things like that. But I would say like, you know, if you have credit card debt, where you're talking like 25%, 30%, like you're gonna wanna prioritize paying that off. But then if it's some of the lesser stuff, like when I work with people, it's, it's more fluid.
0: Absolutely. I think uh, that's a, it makes a lot of sense because if you are paying 25, 30% interest on a credit card, like you are definitely not getting that in the stock market, especially right now. So it's like you are completely negating any kind of gains that you could possibly get by just having that interest working against you. So I think that makes a lot of sense versus, you know, like I think some people have this pressure to get rid of student loan debt or pay off a mortgage quickly and stuff like that. And I think, You know, it's all based on your goals, but it it should also be based on what's the risk versus return if I allocate some money towards the market versus like paying off my house early. So. That's why it's important to create an individual plan, y'all. It's not a one-size-fits-all, and that's why it's so important to work with a coach who can actually help you create your own custom plan based on your individual goals. So speaking of that, Stephen, I want to know, how did you actually start your coaching business? Like what uh, inspired you to do this? And walking away from probably a stable engineering career is not something that uh, maybe your friends or family were like, yeah, that's a great idea. Go ahead. Go do it. (laughs)
1: So here's what ended up happening. And hopefully this resonates with people is I already had passion for it and people were asking me to do it. Like, so, you know, I'm working a career and people were like, man, like, you're always so sharp with this. Hey, can you help me? Or having people like pay for me to come speak. And this is before I publicly even said how well I really was doing of just folks being like, We know you're good at this stuff, and we can feel like your authenticity, your genuineness of that you're the real deal. Like, there's certain stuff that you're saying that we know that you're actually doing it. And so it just kind of happened over time, you know what I mean? Of just like working with people, helping folks, and just seeing, okay, like this is a real thing. It's actually a viable business to do this. And it ended up going way better than i could have hoped i don't even want to like tell y'all how low my expectations were like y'all would y'all would laugh at me but i'll just say like my initial goals were to make what would be less than by it would be like poverty level type money you know what i mean i was just like ah you know if i just make a little something you know it'd be it'd be great and i'm getting to help people and you know i'm kind of already doing it already passionate about it and it actually ended up being like way more than than I ever could have hoped but my mentality around it has always been the same of that I love people I want to see folks be in a good place financially and the difference is and even when I talk to people I'm like I don't need to have you as a client for me to be okay like I'm very fortunate to say this, and I hope this comes across as humbly as possible in what I'm about to say, because I'm I'm not like super flex guy, that's that's just not my, my flow. I could not work for the next decade, and there still would be plenty of money left over. So I'm not- So it gives you options. Right, exactly. So I'm not pressed to get the next client. Like It's like, no- If you're not ready, or if this is too much, that's okay. You don't have to impress me. Like, I promise it's all right. And I love being able to- I love that that energy. Right, right, right.
0: That energy is a powerful place to come from as an entrepreneur, because I think when you're not in that desperation phase where it's like, oh my God, where's my next paycheck going to come from? You can actually serve people authentically. You can actually really pick the people that you're aligned to working with, the folks who share the same vision as you. And uh, you can definitely just like give from a place of abundance versus just trying to trying to serve, uh, from a place of scarcity, which I think is not productive for either the recipient or the, uh, the provider.
1: Totally agree. And, uh, and you don't have to be financially all the way stable to still prioritize your clients. So I hope, I hope people don't feel like, Oh, I got to make a million before I can do that. You can be awesome before that, you know?
0: (laughs) Absolutely. All right. So, I know folks are going to want to find out so much more about you, how they can work with you, what type of uh, services you provide to your clients. So, tell us where folks can find you and how they can work with you.
1: Yeah. So, one way my website is just Stephen with a v l stack.com. So, stevenlstack.com. That's one way to be able to find me. I am actually active on social media. I'm probably most active on Instagram. My uh, handle is at stacking with stack. So S T A C K I N G with Stack, which by the way, people ask me this all the time. Yes, my actual real government last name is Stack. And yes, I talk about I was money. gonna
0: ask you because I'm like, yo, sir, you were set up for success <laughs> with this name. I hope you trademark that shit because it is so catchy. <laughs>
1: right yeah exactly i mean every nickname imaginable i've heard it uh stacks on deck stacks on stacks money stacks stack them up stack house trust me trust me yes. you you would be amazing <laughs> if you've come up with a new one uh but uh but yeah so like that's it's stacking with stack for facebook and tiktok for twitter it's it's just stephen l stack because i I had already just had the stephen l stack maybe i should change it all to be the same honestly but uh you know, you know. I do money, so not you necessarily You provide
0: marketing. one-on-one coaching?
1: Yes, 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 I do, Yeah. So I've worked with individuals, couples, families. I've spoken for organizations and companies and things like that, all across the board of just working with people and helping folks build real financial framework based on your numbers. So like what you make, what your sensibilities are, are and like just helping people have more confidence to do better or do with money what they really would like to do for life.
0: I love that. And I love that you decided to show up in this way because we already know the lack of representation that exists in the financial literacy space is heavy. It's major. I think somewhere around like 3% of CFPs are people of color, which I'm just like, well, clearly that's not enough to serve our vast you know, members of our community. So I think this is where it's so important for folks who are passionate about finance to show up as coaches and really provide those resources that have not existed um, and just provide that access and representation to what wealth can look like for our community. So I just want to say thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing your knowledge. Thank you for showing up for the community. And uh folks, if you want to find out more about Stephen and everything that he's working on, we're gonna make sure to link all of his resources in the episode show notes. Thank you so much for being here.
1: Yeah, you're welcome, and truly, thank you so much for having me. And you're amazing too. You've been showing up uh, for your community as well. I, I want to make sure we get that on wax. You're you're an awesome person. So,
0: thank you so much. I appreciate it. And you know, I think uh, we can make real change as a community, and it starts by just really leveraging all of the amazing work that folks are doing and connecting people with with all the amazing creators that are out here trying to shift the conversation around generational wealth. So kudos to you and thanks for listening y'all.
2: How would you like to look five years younger in a clinical study? People that had volume added with Juvederm Voluma XC in the cheeks perceived themselves as looking five years younger at six months after treatment, look younger, feel like you add volume for lift and contour in the cheeks with Juvederm Voluma XC. There's a risk of unintentional injection into a blood vessel, which can cause vision abnormalities, blindness, stroke, temporary scabs, or scarring. Talk to a licensed specialist to find out if it's
0: right for you. Thanks for listening to today's episode. If you are ready to take your dinero to the next level, sign up for our free 14-page guide, The Financially Lit Latina, The Ultimate Blueprint for Becoming Poderosa with Your Dinero. This 14-page guide includes our best tips on money mindset, budgeting, debt repayment, career, investing, financial independence, side hustles, and more. And you can get it completely free. So to get your copy of the Financially Lit Latina, just head over to YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start. That's YoQuieroDineroPodcast.com slash start and start transforming your dinero story today. Until next time, stay empowered, stay inspired, and stay poderosa.